Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? You're alive. That's good. Yeah? I know we have a lot of people out, um, but we want to encourage families that aren't feeling well to to use our online church platforms so that way we can stay in step together. Um, If you have your Bibles, open to the book of Numbers chapter 9. Book of Numbers chapter 9. We started a new series last week entitled Move. And while I was on sabbatical, what the Holy Spirit spoke to me about this new year is that not only is God going to move, but Restoration Life is a move of God. Because we believe that God moves in us and through us as a community of believers. And so when God moves, we move. It's easy. When God moves, we move. Just like that. And we need to be obedient to the move of the Holy Spirit and whatever the Holy Spirit wants to say to us in order to be where God is. Because if God isn't, if God isn't somewhere, I don't want to be where God isn't. We're going to unpack a couple of things this morning. In fact, I'd like to try to finish last week's message because we only really drove home one point. But this message, this part one and part two, is meant to be an introduction to this new series entitled Move. Book of Numbers, chapter 9, verse 16. The children of Israel have been led out of Egypt. Remember, they were enslaved by Pharaoh for 400 years, building bricklayers, enslaved by the Egyptians to serve their cause. God delivers them through the hand of a man by the name of Moses. Moses leads them out of Egypt and into the wilderness towards the promised land. But if you know the story, you'll know that the children of Israel were faithless people, fearful people. And in their faithlessness and in their fearfulness, They were judged by God. In that judgment, God had decided that faithlessness was going to die in the wilderness so that faithfulness can enter the promised land. Ooh, that's a message right there. Faithlessness needs to die in the wilderness so that faithfulness can enter the promises of God. Anybody agree with me on that? And I don't know what kind of experience you're living in. You might be living in the promises of God. Praise God for that. Or you might be living in the wilderness with God, but you're still remaining faithful because he's taking you from where you were to where he wants to be. Praise God for that. But be very careful being in the wilderness and living in disobedience. Because what will happen is your faith will die in the wilderness because of disobedience. It's an interesting thing that sometimes success is a very dangerous place to live in. Because sometimes faith dies there too. And we want to look at this portion of scripture. We want to extract biblical truth that we can apply to our lives today. Book of Numbers chapter 9 verse 16. The Bible says, as soon as the sacred tent was set up, a thick cloud appeared and covered it. The cloud was there each day and during the night a fire could be seen in it. The Lord used the cloud to tell the Israelites when to move their camp 
and where to set it up again. And as long as the cloud covered the tent, the Israelites did not break camp. But when the cloud moved, they moved. They followed it. And wherever it stopped, they stopped and camped and stayed there. And whether it was for only one night, a few days, a month, or even a year, as long as the cloud remained over the tent, the Israelites stayed where they were. But when the cloud moved, so did the Israelites. They obeyed the Lord's commands and went wherever he directed Moses. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads for just a moment. And would you repeat this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, move in my circumstance, in my life, in my family, in my faith. Strengthen me and open my eyes to see where you're leading me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can you give God another big hand of praise this morning? If you're new to Restoration Life, we just want to welcome you this morning. And I want to catch you up real quickly on the main point that we drove home last week. And the first main point that we made is wherever God moves, we move to where He is. When God moves, we move to where He is. The big question that we left with everyone last week is, is the place that you've settled down right now in life, did the presence of God lead you there or is God there? I'm not talking about your residential address, but the place in life where you've settled down in your faith, in your, in your spiritual health, in your physical health, in your thoughts, and maybe even in the call of God over your lives. Have we gotten so comfortable with our circumstances that we've said to God, God, I want to stay here, and if you move, I don't want to move with you. I prefer to stay here. I like it here. I don't want to move anymore. I'm comfortable. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and moving from place to place in my life. I've gotten comfortable with the oasis that I found, and I would rather stay here and build a life here than move with with your spirit to where you're leading and guiding me or my family? And that was a big question that we needed to answer last week. You see, I learned a long time ago that obedience doesn't even begin until there is disagreement. And a lot of times what ends up happening is when we think of a move of God, we think of a move of God as miracles, signs, and wonders, and that's true. We think about people getting slain in the spirit and for the most part, that's true. We think about getting the goosebumps and, and feeling something emotional during worship. That, that can be true as well. But I want you to know that a move of God has more to do with your obedience than it does an experience. A move of God has more to do with your obedience to God than an experience in the confines of a church service, a conference, or a prayer meeting because God moves where obedience takes place. And our flesh doesn't necessarily ever want to move with God. God wants you to move in obedience with Him, but your flesh wants to move in disobedience with Him. And so there's this constant tug of war 
for the follower of Jesus Christ, for the believer to be obedient to God, to submit to God, to lean on God, rather than to lean on our own understanding, to take our own direction by our own will, by our own understanding. And this is a very difficult place for some people to navigate through. So last week we understood the importance of moving with God. Today I want to look at two more main points that we can draw from this Um, biblical story and a couple of other ones that happened within the desert. The second point that I want to make to you today is this. God will often move in a way that confronts your way. And if you're following us online or you have our app, you can fill in the blanks. We've made all this available to you. God will often move in a way that will confront your way. Because how many know God's ways are better than our ways? Right? God's way and God's plan is better than your plan and your way. Look at somebody go, no way. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't going to say that. But God will often move in a way that confronts my way, that confronts your way. Because even though there are things that we think are a good idea, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a God idea. Isaiah 55, 6 and 9 The prophet Isaiah says this to the children of Israel. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways Your way, or neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts better than your thoughts. And so we have to grasp this truth, that if I'm going to follow God, and I'm going to be moved by God from situation and circumstance to situation and circumstance, or from glory to glory, or from life to life, or from geographical location to geographical location, I understand that the best way is God's way and not my way. I know that I'm an intelligent human being. I know that I'm a grown man. I know that I've had a lot of experience in life, but that matters nothing when God tells me to do something that doesn't make any sense to me, but God sees the beginning to the end. Why? Because he's the Alpha and the Omega, the author and the finisher of our faith, the beginning and the end, and he sees it all at once. We don't see it that way. So many of us go through life just trying to figure things out as life happens. And God never intended us to live that way. So the direction of God will at times make us wish We could just stay where we are. For the children of Israel, any direction that they took was uncharted territory. You got to remember, they were enslaved for 400 years. God uses a man by the name of Moses to deliver them out of the hands of Pharaoh. And now they would go towards the promised land through a desert or a wilderness. And in the midst of that, they needed to learn how to depend on God for every moment of every day of their lives. They had to depend on God for their food. They had to depend on God for their water. They had to depend on God for their clothing that never fell apart. 
but grew with them and sustained them through the whole wilderness experience. They had full dependence on God. There, there were no cities out there. There were no uh, specific geographical locations that they were familiar. It wasn't like they said to themselves, hey, we're going to go towards Sacramento. I know that this freeway leads to Sacramento and we're going to get there. They didn't know how to get to the promised land. They had to be led by the Holy Spirit to do that through a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. They had to fully rely on God for everything. These people, the children of Israel, had lived their entire lives indoctrinated by their slavery, conditioned by their slavery. Life had been pretty predictable for them. Get up at 4.35 in the morning, throw on the robe, eat some unleavened bread, had some warm goat chocolate milk, go to the brick lane factory and go to work. Come home, go to sleep, repeat. That was the extent of their life for 400 years. It wasn't too much about life that was unusual. It wasn't too much about life that was unpredictable or out of the ordinary. Because when you're living enslaved, when you're living enslaved, when you're conditioned to live like a slave, you don't need too much direction. You just submit to the slave master. And I want, I want you to think about this spiritually. Before you had an encounter with Jesus, before Jesus set you free, before the blood of Jesus washed away all your sin, before you had an encounter with grace and mercy and love, you were living enslaved and conditioned to the taskmaster that we know as the devil. Right? And there, there was no direction for your life. The direction was to live under that in, enslavement, under that indoctrination. And you tried to get as much for yourself as you could in this life until you expired. But when you met Jesus, not only did he set you free from that slavery, not only did he set you free from that indoctrination, he gave you a new life with a new purpose and a new future. And it happens by way of his plan and his will. What's more is when you think about this, when there is such an absence of God moving, there was no need for real direction. They are enslaved to what they know, prefer, and can't even see. What's more is that there's no, long, no, any, no any need for faith in their lives. But that's not the kind of life that God wants his people, the church, to live. It's God's prerogative, our creator, to direct us into a life where we will have to trust in his presence and his power and his leading. Because God was leading them into a place where unless he rained down the bread and supernaturally supplied the water, they would die of hunger and thirst. And one of the greatest dangers that you and I could experience and face as a Christian is that you believe or think that you no longer need God to lead you. Because you're not hungry anymore. You're not thirsty anymore. You've learned to a degree how to provide that for yourself. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves 
is have you been in that place lately? When was the last time you really had to believe God for direction? When was the last time he told you to follow him into a new wilderness experience? Who wouldn't want to be moving in the same direction with God? In fact, the most exciting place to be as a Christian is where God is moving. Can anybody say amen? Have, has anybody ever here watched these storm chasers? I mean, these people are bananas. I mean, one of my friends, we had just left Kansas City when that tornado just ripped through 200 miles of farmland and community and devastated Kansas City and a number of other places out in the Midwest. But these storm chasers, what they do is that they look for signs in the atmosphere and they start to dial in on where that tornado is going to touch ground. And when that tornado, tornado touches ground, nothing can stop it from moving in the direction that it wants to move. If it wants to move through a community, it'll move through a community. If it wants to move through mountains, it'll move through mountains. If it wants to move through the rivers and the creeks, it'll move through the rivers and the creeks. If it wants to move through farmland, it'll move through farmland. And what these storm chasers do is that they try to get as close as possible to the tornado to, 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 to be uh, in, in the middle of it, to understand it. And so they chase after it. And, and when you look at this, it, there's an excitement to them. Because they enjoy the tornado and what it's doing. And they're willing to take the same path of the tornado, risking it all. And I want to say that's the true about God. It's just true about God. If you want to be involved in the incitement, if you want to get involved in the thrill of God moving, you have to be willing to take the same path that God takes when he moves. Verse 23 of our text, the Bible says, at the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. God will always confront our ways. And he'll always remind us that your way is not his way. And your thoughts are not his thoughts. That his are higher, his are better, and and his lead you to a destination where his will is. Our ways seem to always get us in trouble. Can anybody say amen to that? I always talk to new people that don't know Jesus. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I start to share with them this biblical truth that Jesus said he's the only way, the truth, and the life. That though a lot of people profess there are a lot of different ways to God, Jesus, Jesus made it very clear. There is no other way. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. There's no way to God the Father except through Christ the Son and the finished work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. There is no other way. Now, this is where it gets tricky because people tend to like to plead their case for their way. They love to plead their case for the way that they live, for the way that they do things, and why they do things, and it's their way. But then they find themselves always in a place of hurt, 
always in a place of desperation, always in a place of brokenness, always in a place of bitterness, always in a place of deceit, always in the place of anger. And then they keep coming back. They're like, man, I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, but I just can't seem to break through. And the reason for that is because you're doing things on your own strength, on your own ability, doing it your way. And your way is what got you into trouble, but God's way is what's going to free you from that trouble. God's ways are better. And I love it when God confronts our ways with his ways. Because if we'll surrender our ways to God, listen, restoration could take place. Healing could take place. Deliverance could take place. So that's the second main point. When God moves, we move with God, not against God. Because God's ways will confront our ways. Thirdly, if I'm not moving God, I'm moving away from God. Let me say it again. If I'm not moving with God, then I'm moving away from God. Listen, I'll say it to you this way. If you're not moving with people that are moving with God, you're probably moving with people that are moving away from God. And we have to be able to discern this as believers. Because we're living in a time where we're, we're where conspiracy theorist mentality is, has gotten inside of the church to where you start talking about the book of Revelation and all, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. No, that's the living, breathing word of God. It's not a conspiracy theory. And so if I'm not moving with God, I'm moving away from him. And as God was talking to his people on this journey, he was not only, he wasn't the only one leading them, he was their destination. He's just not leading people. God is our destination. This journey called life, to know God and be led by God and to be where God is, is our ultimate destination. There's no greater destination that we can move towards than God himself. James chapter 4 verse 8 says this, draw near to God or draw near to to the Holy Spirit, or draw near to me, God says. In other words, when you move closer to me, I move closer to you. That's what he's saying. So as we move towards God, he's also moving towards us. And isn't that what this is all about, right? He's also moving toward us, he's moving in us, he's moving through us, and this is largely in part what the Christian life is all about. The church is described as the bride of Christ. Jesus is described as the groom. The church is described as the body of Christ. Jesus is described as the head. And wherever the head leads, the body moves. So if we're walking in step with God, we have to move with the Holy Spirit of God. Psalm 1611 puts it this way. You will show me the path of life in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So as God was leading his people out of slavery, out of a life of hopelessness, he was leading them towards the promised land. But can I say to you this morning that God is our promised land. Because when we pass away, when we expire, our destination Yes, it's heaven, but more importantly, 
Our destination is the eternal presence of the Father. That's our destination. And so when God makes, when, when we make God's presence a priority and our destination, not only do we get God himself, but we get everything that God promised us. When God is our destination, we find everything that we need. So what do we find in the presence of God? What do we find in Christ? Well, we know that we find salvation. That's a given. But what else do we find? Let me tell you a couple of things that you find. Number one, you find protection. He protects his people in the midst of the devouring wilderness from the Egyptians and from their enemies. The cloud that was their shelter was also their protection and their comfort to the people of God that was walking in darkness and distress to the Egyptians. In Exodus chapter 14 verse 20, the Bible declares, so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was the cloud of darkness to the one and it gave light by night to the other so that one did not come near the other all that night. In other words, the presence of God kept us separate, kept them separated and safe from the enemy. Just like today, God says that if you walk with me, if you talk with me, if you live with me, if you're led by me, I will protect you from the devourer and the pestilence of this time, of this culture, of this generation. He separates us for a reason, to protect us. Secondly, we find provision. Say provision. Provision. To everyone else who lived in the wilderness, it was a harsh environment. <laughs> but to God's people, it was a place of provision and protection. How many know that God provides for his people? Amen. That he's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He meets our needs in provision as we surrender ourselves to his leading. Every need that they had in the wilderness was met as long as they made God their destination. The third thing that he, make, he gives them is it's a place of purpose. In Egypt, every day was the same. Just another day at the brick factory, building graves for dying kings. But God was taking them into a place of promise, into a place of blessing, into a land flowing with milk and honey, where they would be able to set up and establish their own lands and their own community with their own business and all their inheritance. And they were able to establish a legacy for their children and their children's children as long as they lived under God. They didn't have that when they were enslaved. They didn't have that when they were bricklayers for the Egyptians. Who wouldn't want to make God their destination? Psalms 23, 1 and 4 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence, come on, of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely the goodness and the mercy of God shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He provides for us. He sets the table before my enemies. When Satan wants to destroy our families, when Satan wants to destroy our provision, God makes a way where we see no way. And he prepares a table where we can eat, sit down, and eat victoriously in the presence of the devil 
and say, you can't touch me. You can't touch this. Because I belong to God. But if you're not moving with him, you're moving away from him. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said to everyone, if you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Okay, pastor, I get all that. I get all that. But I just feel stuck. Anybody ever feel stuck? Man, I feel stuck in this relationship. It's not getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse. I feel stuck at this job. It's not getting any better. I know what my value is, and they don't value me here. But I feel stuck. I feel like I can't move. Pastor, I feel stuck in this addiction. Pastor, I feel stuck in this, this anxiety, this depression. God, I feel stuck in these areas of my life. I'm stuck. What do I do? It's an interesting thought. It's an interesting question. Because I need you to understand this morning that it's never God's intent to keep us wandering. Never God's intent to keep us wandering. The wandering happened because of unbelief and disobedience. That's, that's why the wandering happened to the children of Israel. Could it be that maybe the reason why we feel stuck and the reason why we feel like we're just wandering, not really knowing where to go or how to go, is not because God isn't leading us, is because we've preferred where we are rather to where God is moving. We prefer where we've been to where God is heading. Last week, we talked a little bit about how people stayed at a spot for one night, a year, years on end, and then God all of a sudden would say, it's time to move, and they had to pack up everything and move. And I, and I, and I made it very clear last week that I hate moving. <laughs> I don't like packing things up and moving. It's too much work. But we have to be ready to move when God moves. We, we need to be ready to respond when God says, move. It was good to have a break from a movement, but they were starting to become settled. And in settling, they became stuck. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. I'm going to put it up on the screen, hopefully behind me. It says this. When we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and move on. Go to the hill country of the Amorites and go to all the neighboring regions of the Jordan Valley, the hill country, the western foothills, the Negev, and all the coastal plain. Go to the land of the Canaanites and to, the, to, and to Lebanon and all the way to the great Euphrates River. Look, I'm giving you all this land to you. Go and occupy it, for it is the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to all of their descendants. So God, God ministered to a people that were on a mountain they were on a mountaintop. They had settled there. They've gotten familiar to it. They've gotten comfortable. They've settled in. And now God said, it's time to break camp. It's time to move. Because I'm going to give you the land that I promised your ancestors. Now watch what happens. Because I believe that many of us need to realize this morning that you're not stuck. You've just stopped moving with God. Let me say it again. You're not, look at somebody tell you, you're not stuck. You've just stopped moving. We often feel stuck, but we're using a word to describe what we feel more than what's actually taking place in our Christianity. 
This could be applied to our faith. It could be applied to our marriages, our relationships, our businesses. It could be applied to our parenting. How many would agree that sometimes we just feel stuck and we don't know what to do? Well, that's the best time to get on your knees and get, get some carpet chewing time and go, God, what do you need me to say? What do you need me to do? How do you want me to move in this situation? Because we often feel stuck, but we're using this word inaccurately. It's interesting. Last year, um, when we were building our house, I had to sell everything because our economy had taken a dive and lumber had gotten up. And in the middle of building our home, um, man, we just ran out of money. So I sold everything. Sold everything that we had. Everything that I could. And uh, I remember saying to myself, <laughs> I'll probably never own this again. I'll never... I sold my boat. It was my dream boat. It's a boat that I, that I leveled up to. For those of you that don't know, I love the ocean. I love fishing. I love spearfishing. I love diving. There are a number of men in our church that, that love to go with me as well as my daughter. And uh, it's probably better than all of us. And, uh, and I thought that when I, I sold everything first, and then the last thing that I was going to sell was my fishing boat. If, if I can get away with finishing our house and not sell my fishing boat... Because I had to buy boats, fix them, flip them to get to the boat that I got to. And even the boat that I got to, I had to rebuild the motor on that myself. So me and a friend built that rebuild. So we spent a lot of time on this thing. I, I, I was emotionally attached to my fishing boat. And I didn't want to sell it. Because I said, I had convinced myself, if I sell this, I'll never have another one again. Because it took me four to get to this one. And I was just like... All right, this is a sacrifice. My family comes before my hobby. Come on, man. Somebody say amen. At least some wives say amen with me this morning. My family comes before my hobby. And even though I love my hobby and Roxanne released me into this hobby, um, it was a place. Some people go to the gym. I go diving. Right? Some people like to go eat all this food from different, I like to go to the ocean and get my food out of the water. Um, but I had decided in my mind, if I sell this, I'll never have another one. I'm never going to have another one. So I sold it. I cried and cried and cried. Sold it. We were able to get our house to the place that we were able to move in. But in reality, I had convinced myself that I wasn't going to be able to own another boat and I wasn't going to be able to go diving because I'm not walking down a cliff to get into a water to go diving, even though Ron's got other ways of doing it. Um, and so I didn't. I stopped diving. Not because I wasn't invited on other people's boats. Not because I couldn't have just gone to Redondo Beach and just walked into the water and go diving that way. Just I had just convinced myself that if I do this, I can't do that. Anybody ever been there? If I do this... I can't do that. But if I do this, I can do that. But now I've convinced myself that I'll never go diving again. It wasn't that I couldn't go diving again. It wasn't that I couldn't go fishing again. It's that I convinced myself that I didn't need to anymore. That I didn't have to anymore. And so I didn't for a long, long time. I felt stuck in my daily patterns because I was trying to finish something that was going to bless my family. And I didn't feel like I get, that I could get up and go any longer. But in truth, I had just stopped going. I had just stopped moving. 
And when you stop, you feel stuck, but you're not really stuck. You've just stopped. And the natural desire goes. The connection and thoughts and the physical desires get lost. And we convince ourselves that it's better for us to stay where we are than to have to deal with everything we dealt with in the past to get to where we were. And sometimes in our faith, when we come into a very difficult time of our Christianity, when we struggle with situations and circumstances, we convince ourselves, we convince ourselves that we're stuck. If for whatever reason we stop serving God in, in ministry or a dream team or being allowed to be used by God, we convince ourselves since I haven't been doing it for a long time, God can no longer use me, so I'll just attend church I'll support the church, I'll pray for the church, I'll be in the church, but I won't move with the church. And this happens to Christians all the time. I'm one of those pastors that believe that absolutely everybody in the church should be serving God at some capacity inside the sphere of the church. I believe that. Why? Because if you're a part of the body of Christ and I'm a part of the body of Christ, if my hand decides, well, it was broke, it was hurt, it can never be used again, then it's never going to try to be used again. And it stops moving. And now I'm somewhat crippled and I'm unable to do things that I should be able to do because my hand has just decided that it can't move with the rest of my body anymore. And it's unfortunate that a lot of Christians believe that. That they've gotten some church hurt, they've experienced, you know, some sort of failure where they fell flat on their face for something they've allowed in their life, and then they get disciplined by God, they repent, they make things right, but they never get back to a place where they're moving with God. And I want you to hear this morning that that's exactly where Satan wants you to be, ineffective. But God wants you to move with his spirit. God wants you to move with the bride of Christ. Because when God says move, we move. Just like that. Proverbs 4.25 says, let your eyes look directly forward. And your gaze be straight before you. Some of you need to stop looking at your past with so much emphasis that it overcomes the blessing of what God's preparing for your future. Stop driving your car looking in the rearview mirror you're gonna eat it you're gonna crash and the sad part is not only will you hurt yourself you hurt others when you do that we need to hear the call that has changed lives jesus said follow me say follow me jesus said follow me why because he knows the way how does he know the way because he is the way the second thing that I want you to recognize is your addiction to the familiar. There are too many people that are addicted to the familiar and resist change. Come on. Israel begins to look back at Egypt. After all, 400 years, they, that was a long time. And at least back there they knew what to expect. Slavery. Bondage, addiction, pain, turmoil, affliction. And they knew what to expect. Why? Because the longer you stay somewhere, 
the more comfortable and connected you become to that environment. And hear me clearly, guys. There are a lot of people that have decided that where they're living spiritually, where they're living emotionally, where they're living psychologically, that they're okay with it because it's become familiar to them and it's their new normal. But for someone who's moving with God, someone who's being led by the Spirit would look at that and say, that's not normal, that's abnormal. But you've allowed abnormal to become your new normal. And why has that happened? Because it's familiar. I'm comfortable with it. And so this is why some people don't move when God says move. This is why some people stay in the pain because they've gotten accustomed to the pain. It's like, can, can I just share just a, a quick thought with you? This not even in my sermon, but I, I just really believe the Holy Spirit wants somebody in this room to hear this or somebody online to hear it. I can't tell you how many women that I've talked to that are living in abusive relationships with their, with their boyfriends or their spouses or with, or with family members. And they'll stay in that environment and, and be abused verbally, be abused emotionally, be abused even physically because they have decided in their mind that they can't live without that other person supporting them and sustaining them and putting a roof over them and making a way for them. And so they've devalued themselves and said, I'm no better. Nobody will ever want me. Nobody will ever care for me. So this is my lot in life. This is where I'm going to stay. God says it's time for you to move. You don't have to stay in an environment that hurts you. You don't have to live in an environment that's constantly causing you grief and pain. It's time for you to move. Stop putting so much faith in the abuser and start putting faith in your creator. Because God has a way of making a way where you see no way. God has a way of bringing healing and restoration when he removes you out of the hand of the oppressor. But so many people, I, 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 this is the only job that I've, that I've had and, and, I'm, and I make okay money and I know that I'm struggling and I know that my boss is abusive and I know that the manager is constantly saying things about me and my coworkers are just heathen, blah, 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 blah. Why don't you move? Why don't you get online? Why don't you get in your prayer closet and present yourself a living sacrifice to God so that he can move you from that place of darkness and into the blessing of the promises that he's made for his people. He is your provider and he will make a way. But we've convinced ourselves this is what I deserve. We've convinced ourselves this is just how I am. And God goes, no, 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 that's how you were. But I've set you free. So it's hard to change. Breaking camp involved major change in their mindset and in their expectations. Can I ask you, where have you settled? Are you okay where you are spiritually? Are you okay living with the bad habits you've allowed in your marriage and you've settled there? Are you okay with settling and being relaxed in a space that your faith has been diminished? Have you settled down on the mountain of bitterness and regret? Have you settled in the field of church hurt? It's time for you to move and get with God. 
And let him lead you out of that place of burden. Let him lead, lead you out of that place of hurt. Let him lead you out of that place of bitterness. But it happens when we surrender to Jesus. God says, you've stayed on this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and move on. Lastly, we need to confront any unresolved disappointments and misguided directions or expectations. We have to confront any unresolved disappointments and misguided expectations in order to move from where we were to where he wants us to be. We're not stuck. We're not stuck. We've just stopped moving. Someone once said, in fact, William Shakespeare said, expectation is the root of all heartache. Sometimes we face deep wrongs, deep losses, and we just can't accept life that way anymore. Somebody said unhappiness lies in the gap between our hope and our misguided expectations. Can I tell you that a misguided expectation is premeditated resentment. Misguided expectations is premeditated resentment. In other words, you were setting yourself up for resentment by putting an expectation on a human being that only God can fulfill. You want to move with God? You have to pick up your cross and follow Him. You want to move with healing and restoration? You have to deny yourself daily. And move with God when he moves. If I could have every head bowed and every eye closed in reverence to the Holy Spirit. What is God saying to you this morning? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about? I want to encourage you this morning. Don't live in a place of despair. Because you've said I'm stuck. I don't deserve any better. I can't get any better. God says I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. God says things like, if you follow me and you move closer to me, I will move closer to you. And we know that wherever the presence of God is, there is freedom. We know wherever God is, there's liberality. There's joy in the Holy Ghost. And I wonder, are you on the mountaintop of your life and God's saying it's time to break camp? It's time to break that camp right now that's you right now God's saying I want you to move with me I don't want you to live where you've been living spiritually I don't want you to move where you've been living financially I want you to move away from where you've been living under the social conditioning of this world and I want you to begin to move with the leading of the Holy Spirit and if you feel like God is saying that to you we just raise your hand real quickly and say pastor yes yes who else yes 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 yeah yeah, would you stand to your feet right where you're at? We're just going to sing a song of worship, and we're going to surrender to God. Come on, stand to your feet. We're going to sing a song to God, and we're going to move with God, and we're going to honor God. Maybe for some of us, we need to repent from the things that we said, from the way that we've been living, from the things that we've done. We need to turn away from those things, and we need to start moving back towards God. And as we move closer to God, God moves closer to us, and we find provision, we find protection. Come on, we find instruction, we find joy, we find healing, we find restoration because we're moving with the Father and not against the Father. Come on, lift your hands.
Lift your hands this morning as we surrender. Come on. Come on, Jesus. We love you, God. We worship you, Father.
in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, come on, can we give God another hand of praise? Hey, listen, we love you. We honor you. Stay strong. Stay safe. We're keeping you in prayer. We'll see you next Sunday here at Restoration Life. God bless you.